Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. We began in Galatians chapter one. If you want to t- turn there, we're going to be there again. But you know, I I actually didn't get a revelation of grace until 1994. And when I received a revelation of grace, I had actually been pastoring for six years. And so, um, you know, I, I was saved in 1972. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and was called to preach in 1978. We started pastoring in 1988, 10 years after I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and called to preach. But it wasn't until I'd been pastoring for six years, I was right at uh, 30 years old in 1994, that I received a revelation of grace. And when I received a revelation of grace, it changed my life. It changed my ministry. And the way it happened, Andrew Womack was teaching for us and Kit Carson, he'd done that for a few years. And as he was teaching, he said, it doesn't matter how much you've broken God's law. It really doesn't matter. It's like a plate glass window. It doesn't matter whether you shot a BB through it or you drove a Mack truck through it. You broke it. And the only way that you can make make it perfect is you have to replace it. And Jesus didn't come just to fix you up. That's why the gospel is not about a self-help program. Jesus came to make you new. And, and, And I mean, it was just like that. It was like flipping a switch. I got it. And I've never forgotten it. You know, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of it all. And a lot of times we, as believers, we tend to look at sin in levels, right? White lies, gray lies, black lies. Well, the Bible says all liars will have their place in a lake of fire. So, so we, we tend to look at things like that. But, you know, um, All of us have broken God's law, and because we've all broken God's law, we all need Jesus. And when you believe on Jesus, Jesus makes you 100% righteous. Amen? And so 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, God made him to be sin or a sin offering for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Of course, you all know and believe that Jesus never sinned. Yet he died on the cross and became a a sin offering for us. So he he died on the cross for our sins, right? In the same way, we were holy in our spirit, unrighteous. But we were given the righteousness of God as a gift. We were made the righteousness of God. So it's not about what we do. Christianity is not about what you do. It's about what Jesus did. And when you believe Jesus, it changed everything in you. It changed who you are. And when you begin to understand that, when I got a revelation of grace, I lived 10 times better with 10% of the effort because I realized it's really not me, but it's Jesus living his life big in me. That's the gospel. Barbara says I'm not even like living with the same person. No, she's, I mean, I I understand diligence, but living with me before I got a revelation of grace was like living with a tyrant. You know, my my oldest son, Aaron, was seven years old when I got a revelation of grace. Barbara said, I don't believe our boys would be serving God and loving Jesus like they are today. 
if you didn't get a revelation of grace. But it has completely transformed my life. It transformed how I treat my wife. It transformed how I treat my children and how I deal with them. It transforms how I minister. It transformed not only how I minister, but how I deal with people as a whole. And when you understand the grace of God, it will liberate you. It will really, really help you. So we're talking about grace, the grace life, how grace affects your life. And I'm in the book of Galatians. We began by talking about how Jesus is the embodiment of grace. And John chapter 1, verse 16 says this, of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. We went on to talk about what grace produces in our life. Grace produces, first of all, peace. And Paul talks about that here in verse 3. He says, grace be to you in peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. 17 New Testament books start with grace and peace. So peace is the first fruit. Really, the Bible says this in Romans 5.1. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we begin to talk about how grace frees us and that we're free from sin. And he says this in verse 4, that Jesus, who is the grace of God, gave himself for us that he might deliver us, free us from this present evil world according to the will of God. But he not only freed us from sin, he freed us to do the will of God. And we talked about that 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says that God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own grace and purpose, which he gave us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what we call amazing grace. Today, I'm going to talk about how grace frees you from legalism and the fear of man. So we're going to move on today in verse 6, and I'll start reading in verse 6 through 10. Paul says this, he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of God to another gospel, which is not another, but there be some who trouble you who would pervert the gospel of Christ. So he says, I marvel that you're moving away from Jesus who called you into the grace of God. Now, when he talks about how Jesus called us into the grace of God, to another gospel. You know, some people, because they kind of see these grace people that get a little wacky, right? They want to move away from the message of grace. But I'm here to tell you that grace won't make you wacky. Amen? And people that use grace as an excuse to sin really don't understand grace because they don't have a revelation of grace. Paul said in Romans 6, Verse 12 and verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. And the more that you understand grace, the more that you walk free from sin. Praise God. So, so that's not grace that does that. Somebody that uses grace as an excuse to sin more really doesn't understand the grace of God. But when you understand it, it will really change your life. And so he says, you moved away from him you're moving away from Jesus. He is the one who called you in to the grace of God. So to move away from grace is to move away from Jesus. So you don't want to move away from Jesus. You want to stay close to Jesus, right? And, and he says to another gospel, he calls legalism, he calls law-keeping another gospel. 
he calls Jesus plus circumcision. In this case, he's talking about circumcision. Because what was happening in the church, the Judaizers were coming in, and they said, okay, you've been saved by grace, but now you've got to keep the law to stay saved. You've got to be circumcised. He talks about circumcision. Well, the problem with adding circumcision to Jesus, right, then you begin to add law-keeping, because Paul says if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of it all, right? And nobody's ever kept God's whole law, right? In fact, there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and he said, what must I do to receive eternal life? And, and um, Jesus said, well, what did Moses say? And he said, I've kept these things from my youth up. He was rich and he was young. Guess what? Keeping God's law is good for you. But Jesus said, well, you lack one thing. And he said, so what is it? And he said, well, I want you to go take all your goods and sell it and give it to the poor and come follow me. So he was saying he kept the whole law, not only the big 10, but the 620 that went with him. And nobody in here has ever kept the whole law. Right, so, so not, and, and you know, he, he goes away sorrowful because the Bible says he had great possessions. Now Jesus is not against you having great possessions. In fact, I believe that God wants to bless you, and I can prove that a lot of ways in the Scripture. But he is against your possessions having you. And so he went away sorrowful. And what Jesus was really proving to this young man, he said he kept all of the 630 various laws, 10 plus the 620. And Jesus said, well, really, you haven't even kept number one because number one is you shall not have any other God before me. Right, and a lot, of, a lot of us, you know, we think about the Ten Commandments and we have these grandiose ideas, you know. For instance, we, we think, you know, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We think that's about cussing. To a Jewish person, a Jewish person says you're not going to talk, you're not even going to use the name of God lightly. So for them, it's even offensive if you use the name of God. If you talk and use the name, it's holy. See, we don't understand what is really being said in a lot of areas. And, and, and we confuse a lot of things, right, about the Scripture. In fact, when Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 4, he, he said, listen, I, I didn't come to, or Matthew chapter 5, I, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. But you say a man should not commit adultery. I, I'm telling you, if you look on a woman and, to, and lust after her in your heart, you, you've committed adultery in your heart. People say, well, who can do this? Well, nobody can do it. That's, that's, Jesus wasn't adding on to the commandments. He wasn't adding on to the law. He was just saying no one in their personal human strength can do this. That's why we need Jesus. He said, you know, we say all these different things. He said, if, if you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of the hellfire. You know? So, I mean, he's not adding on to the law, but he's talking about issues of the heart. You, you, got, you, you can't do this in your own strength. You've got to just believe. So, so he's talking about absolute confidence and trusting him. 
But when he, when he says this, he, he says, if we or an angel preach any other gospel. So the perversion of the gospel that Jesus or Paul is talking about right here is Jesus plus circumcision specifically, or you can go farther and say law keeping, or you can start adding things to Jesus. Jesus plus circumcision plus law keeping plus church going plus Bible reading plus praying plus giving. And guess what? I read my Bible, go to church, write, pray, and give. I do that more than most people, right? But at the same point in time, I don't trust any of those things. See, that's not the foundation of the gospel. That's the fruit of the gospel. The root of the gospel is Jesus. Because I'm rooted in Jesus and Jesus is living his life in me, I have this kind of fruit. And, and it's also Jesus, right? Jesus plus circumcision, plus law keeping, plus church going, giving, Bible reading, prayer. Plus not cussing or drinking or running with those that do, right? Because we try to add all these things onto Jesus and all of a sudden Jesus who was so attractive is not very attractive at all. But the gospel's not about us. The gospel's about Jesus. And so Paul says, this is a perversion. And he goes on to say here in verse 8, though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we've preached, let him be accursed. He's using very strong language, the strongest language that he can use in church without being offensive. And he says it again, so they really know what he means. In verse 9, he says, Now I say again, if any man preach any other gospel to you than that you've received, let him be accursed. For he says, Now do I persuade men, or God, or I do, do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. So when you get a hold of the gospel, when you get a hold of grace, it will free you from legalism, and it will free you from the fear of man. You know, Proverbs 29, 25 actually says this. It says the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And what happened, these Judaizers, right? These, these legalistic Jewish people were coming into the church and they were saying, you've got to add, add these things to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen legalism. I've seen a lot of legalism in the church. And listen, legalistic people will make you crazy. It is crazy. In fact, a lot of people in the world think the Bible will make you crazy. The Bible will not make you crazy. But legalism will make you crazy. And so Paul is really addressing legalism. And he goes on in the rest of chapter 1. And he talks about he had this marvelous conversion followed by an amazing revelation of God's grace. And he said, nobody taught me this, but I received it by revelation. When I first got saved, I went out in the desert for three years. And God revealed this. And Paul, who was Saul, right, of Tarsus, who grew up at the feet of Gamaliel, studying under one of the greatest teachers of the law of his day, all of his life was actually being prepared for this moment. 
And God takes all of these things that he, how he had studied in the Old Testament, all of a sudden begins to bring revelation, and he begins to understand the gospel. And the gospel is really not about us, but the gospel is about Jesus. And then he begins, as we go into chapter 2 in verse 1, he says, Then 14 years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated with them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. He's talking about Acts 15. And they, they, they brought to the leadership of the church, right? You know, do we need to do anything to keep the law in order to be saved? And the answer of the leadership of the church in Acts chapter 15 was, we believe that by the grace of God, you shall be saved. And why are you trying to put a yoke of bondage? He calls law-keeping and legalism a yoke of bondage on the neck of these Gentile believers, which we weren't able to keep. So it's grace that saves you, period, Grace alone. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and you know what? You cannot do anything to improve on Jesus. In fact, he says this in Galatians 5 verse 2. He says, I tell you, if, if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Jesus plus circumcision plus law keeping plus doing this and doing that and not doing something else equals nothing at all. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And he goes on in verse 4, Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. If you want to turn over there really quickly, we'll look at it. And he actually says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, Christ is become of no effect to you. Whoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. If you are trying to receive from God based on your performance... He's not talking about committing adultery. He's not talking about getting drunk. He's talking about circumcision. He's talking about adding something to Jesus. Because if you add something to Jesus, it's like saying Jesus is not enough. So the true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus anything equals nothing at all. And Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so Paul says, listen, 14 years later, we came up and we discussed this with the leaders of the church. And, and, and he says, I communicated with them the gospel that I've been preaching among the Gentiles, which is simply Jesus. And he says, but neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, I was actually teaching this the other day for television, and Aaron was with me, Pastor Aaron. And, and he, he brought this out. I thought this was amazing. He believed that Paul actually bought Titus, who was a Greek, right, a Gentile believer with him to Jerusalem just to see how the Jewish believers would react. So Titus wasn't circumcised, right? And he says he wasn't compelled to be circumcised. And he says, because false brethren, I don't, you know, I said religion will make you crazy. 
Legalism will make you crazy. It'll make you act stupid, do foolish things. They came in privately to spy out our liberties. Can you, can you see these dudes picking around the tree? Hey, it's a dinosaur from side. Under the, under the stall. <laughs> I mean, legalism will make you crazy, make you act dumb. You know, and so he, he's talking about that. And he said, we, we didn't give place by subjection, not for an hour. You know what, what legalistic people try to do, they're, they're like, you do it my way or it's the highway. They're demanding, demeaning, belittling. I've been around religion. I've seen it. It's, it's ugly, and they, and they act really crazy. He said, we, we, didn't, we didn't go that way. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whoever they were, it makes no, I don't care who they are. God accepts no man's person, for they seem to be somewhat in conference. That didn't add anything to me. But contrarywise, when they saw the gospel of the uncircumcision. In other words, Paul tried to go to the Jews, but it didn't work very well, so he went to the Gentiles. And he said, when they saw that that was committed to me, right? The Gentiles, as the gospel of circumcision was coming. And Peter went to the Jews and had great results. You know, you can tell sometimes what you're called to do and what you're anointed to do by where you have fruit. So don't try to be something you aren't. Just keep doing what God called you to do. And you can tell by where you have fruit. For he who wrought affectionately in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision was same and mighty in, in me towards the Gentiles. And when James and Peter and John, who were pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we would go to the heathen. And they to the circumcision. We would go to the Gentiles. They'd go to the Jews. Only they that we would remember the poor the same I was... Happy to do. Now look at verse 11 to verse 14. Now really, this is really the heart of what I believe he's addressing in verse, chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, and really in the, in the whole gospel here. But he, he says, when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain Jews came from James. James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And, and before these people, you know, Jews came from the church in Jerusalem, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when these Jews who came from the Jerusalem church came, Peter withdrew himself. He separated himself because he was afraid, again, the fear of man. Did you know that legal, legalism, the fear of man feeds off of legalism? And legalistic people, they want their way and they will demand their way. And they, they actually try to get you to operate in fear. In my first church, I had a guy that came and he put up a table, wanted some teaching out there, and it was just a bunch of law. And God actually spoke to me, right? One night, one Sunday morning at 4 a.m., he woke me up. And he said, you go take that table down and box all that stuff up and you write a letter to him and put it in there, right? And, and put it back. He works sometimes in the sound department, put it back in there. And so I, I did exactly what I said and, or what God told me to do. And that morning, he didn't come to church. I was so relieved. <laughs> Because I was not looking forward to meeting with this guy because he was crazy. Legalism will make you crazy. 
And, and you know, he, I thought, praise God, I, I got a few more days to get by. We were actually having a Christmas program that night, and he wouldn't let his kids participate in the Christmas program because you can't have Christmas trees. You've all seen it. Legalism. Yes. Can't do any of that stuff. I mean, just goofy, right? But he actually came that night. And, and I, I didn't know, you know, I wasn't, you know, I chaired the board meetings, but I wasn't on the board. So I had a board of the members of the church, a president, a vice president, and a secretary of treasury. And, you know, I chaired the meetings, but it was there. There were three guys, and we voted on one person a year, and, and we don't do that here. But that's how we did it there. And, and, and I picked the first three guys, and they stayed there for 10 years. We had a lot of peace. It worked pretty well. But one guy had given me a tape by John Haggy called Witchcraft in the Church. And, that, that was, and this, this legalism, Paul actually talks about this in Galatians chapter 3. And he says, you act like you're under a spell. So I knew that he was with me. So I thought, oh, I got that one. And then that night, right before we left, the, the president of the board, he walked by me. He said, it's Rachel's daddy. He said, is that table? Who took that table down? I said, I did. He said, is it going to stay down? I said, good. He said, I said, yes. He said, good. I thought, praise God, I got two out of three. I'm going to win this. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about legalism. I'm talking about just, you got to deal with what you got to deal with until you get through. You know what I'm saying? And man, after he left, that, that guy that had that table came and he just attacked me. Because you want, I want you to do it my way. Well, I'm not going to do it your way. And the reason I'm not going to do it your way, because Jesus told me not to. And I had to get over that fear of man and that man-pleasing spirit, so I fear God. And there's people that they try to get you in, you're doing it my way. And I get a little upset about it, but I've been around the block a few times. And it comes in all kind of ways. Hallelujah. So I'm just, I just generally don't go there. And I've had some very powerful and wealthy people try to tell me how to run this church and just told them we're not doing it that way. And I don't care what you think. I don't care how much money you put in the bucket. Because you're not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. But any, anyway, they were afraid. And, and this is what legalism does. It, it, it produces hypocrisy, withdrawal, separation, fear of man, and dissension. It's right there in verse 12 and verse 13. And, and, and he says, and, the, and the, the other Jews dissembled with them in so much that Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation. I mean, you get one of them rich, powerful, arrogant, legalistic people, right? And, and when they leave, they usually take some people with them. I've seen a lot of things in my days. So anyway, when, he says, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, now look at, Paul is talking to Peter, talking back <laughs> to his religion, really. 
if you're a Jew and you live after the manner of the Gentiles, not as the Jews, why are you compelling the Gentiles to live as the Jews? Why do we got to add something to Jesus? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles. And so legalism feeds off of the fear of man. And so Jesus came to set you free, free from sin, free to do the will of God, but also free from the fear of man. But he not only came to set you free from the fear of man, he came to set you free from a performance mentality, from relying on your performance or relying on your lack of performance. And Paul really addresses that in verse 16 through verse 21. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, not justified by his performance. The law put a demand on you that you could not fulfill. And that was so when Jesus came, you'd cry out and say, Jesus, save me. But the faith of Jesus, even as we believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We are not justified by our performance. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we are found sinners, because what happens, the Bible actually says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56, that the law is the strength of sin. And if you preach law, it actually makes sin stronger. It will not free people from sin. Nobody in the Old Testament was free from sin. They all understood what sin was. The law will show you sin, but it will not free you from it. It's like going in the mirror. You can look in the mirror in the morning, see that you need to shave. But if you take that thing off the wall and try to shave with it, all you're going to do is get all cut up. So he says, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we're found sinners, is Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. Right? Grace will not make you sin more, make you sin less, because you find out that you are sinless. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. In other words, Paul said, if I'm going back to the law to try to be justified after I believed on Jesus, I am making myself a transgressor. I destroyed law keeping for salvation when I believed on Jesus. For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live to God. In other words, I died to the law. The law showed me that I needed a savior, but it could not save me. And he said, now listen, when he's talking about death in and identifying with Jesus in his death in Galatians 2.20, he's actually talking about death to the law. And there are four deaths that the scripture talks about. Number one is death to sin. Right? Romans 6 talks about that. Number two is death to the law. Right? And that's what this is talking about. And that's what, right? The, the scripture talks about this a number of places. Number three is death to self. And Jesus talked about, about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following him in Matthew 16, Luke chapter 9. That's what that's talking about. Number four is death to the world. And that's what Galatians 6 is talking about. So Paul said, I'm dead to the sin. I'm dead to the law. I'm dead to myself. And I'm dead to the world. And he makes this statement, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh. We need to learn how to live the faith life in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's actually not even my faith, it's the faith of Jesus that was given to me. 
So he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by performance, if righteousness came by the law, Christ died in vain. In other words, Jesus saved me and Jesus alone, but I did not save me. It's not what I did plus what Jesus did that saved me. And it's not what I do plus what Jesus does that brings me healing or brings me prosperity or any of the other promises. It's what Jesus did and what Jesus did alone that saves me and when you understand that it is liberating because you find out the gospel is not about you the gospel is about Jesus so Paul's preaching Jesus set us free from fear right from, he said it's free from sin. He said it's free to do the will of God. He said it's free from fear, the fear of man. And he also said it's free from the fear of performance or lack thereof. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Can I talk to you about one more fear that Jesus said it's free from? He said it's free from the fear of judgment. Now go with me to 1 John chapter 4. And I want to read... Verse 15 through verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 through verse 19. He says, whoever will confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells in him, and he in God. Guess what happened when you got saved? You got free, right, from your fear of judgment over the sins of your past, because you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You know, about 15 years ago, a guy came in my office. He'd been coming to church for a little while. And he started talking about some sin that he'd done some 30 years before. And it was really, you know, it was really concerning him. And I just told him, listen, Jesus died for your sins and he took your sins. And I asked him, I said, have you been saved? Have you been born again? He couldn't really tell me that he had. And I prayed for him. And when I prayed for him, you know what? He went out of my office. He got born again with the biggest smile. Praise God. And he came to church for at least 10 years after that. And every time I saw him, he had this huge smile because Jesus saved him from his sin. And that's wonderful when you know, praise God, that you have been saved from you. In fact, I had a person from my family a few years ago. And they came to me and they said, you realize what I did? And I'm like, listen, and they were talking about something that happened over 50 years ago. And I said, listen, I don't know and I don't care. I don't even want to know. That is not who you are. That is not how you've lived your life. You believed on Jesus and he saved you and he changed you by his grace. So don't even bring it up. And the devil is trying to haunt some of you with your past. And what you need to say is, listen, Mr. Devil, that's not who I am. Jesus took that at the cross, and God got over my past. He got over my sin on the cross, and I'm going to leave it there. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. That is freeing to know that, that you are free from the judgment because of the sins of your past. 
But you know what? Jesus didn't only take care of your past. He took care of your present. He took care of the right here and the right now. And there's a lot of people that are haunting because of right here and right now. And he talks about it in verse 16. He says this, 1 John 4, 16. We have known and believed the love that God has. We have known and we continue to believe. Not only did we know, did we get a revelation of his love, but we continue to believe in his love. How many of you glad that it wasn't because of your performance that you were saved, that Christ died for the ungodly? That's what Romans 5, 8 says. And you know what? You were all ungodly, Pastor Lawson included. Some of you were a little less ungodly than others, but you were all ungodly. And you all needed a Savior. His name is Jesus. And you know what you need to do is continue to believe in the love of God because that takes care of the present. He says, you have known and believed. You've known and you continue to believe in the love of God that God has. God is love. And he who dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Now, he not only took care of the sins of the past, the fear of judgment of sins of the past and sins of the present, Jesus also took care of the fear of judgment for sins in the future. And he, look at this, what he says in verse 17 and 18. He says, herein is our love made perfect, complete, oh, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. In other words, in the day of judgment, it could be raining hellfire and brimstone. And you know what I'm going to say? It's not me. I didn't do this. <laughs> I didn't make this mess. Hallelujah. Because you are so convinced of what Jesus did for you. Because you are so convinced that you're justified, sanctified, righteous, and made holy by his blood. That you know, listen baby, it's not because of what I did. And you know what the devil does? You go to pray, right? And you go to ask God to heal you or bless you or help you in some way. And the first thing the devil does is bring up the last thing you did wrong. Because he wants to get you in condemnation because if he can make it about you instead of about Jesus, he, you're, you're stuck right there. But he doesn't want to make it about you. Jesus, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And you didn't get saved because of you, and you don't get healed because of you, and you don't get blessed because of you. You get saved, healed, and blessed, and helped in every area because of Jesus. And so he says, our love is made perfect when we, that we may have boldness, and I'm not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid of judgment that's coming in the future. Because as he is, so are we. In this world. And there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. But fear has torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. And I'm here to tell you, friends, there's a lot of people that are preaching a lot of fear. And fear motivates a lot of people. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. Is that okay if I'm honest with you? There are a lot of so-called prophets preaching a lot of fear. 
And it's nothing but fear. And, and they're saying a lot of crazy stuff. And I'm going to give you an example of the past so you can relate it to whoever you're listening to right now that's preaching all this garbage fear. In 1998, I was driving a tractor planting wheat for a farmer in my church four miles north of Kit Carson, Colorado. I was pulling a 60-foot drill. The field was about a mile and a half long. It's about 9 o'clock at night. And so I had the Christian radio on. As I was listening to it, somebody came on the Christian radio, and they started talking about Y2K. Now, you're all laughing now. But I'm telling you, there's a bunch of so-called prophets out there preaching a bunch of stuff that is just about as goofy as Y2K. And, and I was driving that tractor, and I thought, this is a lie. This is nothing but a bunch of fear. And the next month, Andrew Womack came out in his monthly newsletter. And he said, this is nothing but a bunch of fear. It's a lie. And if I'm wrong after it's over, I'll come back and tell you, but none of these people will. And there were a bunch of them on the Y2K train. In fact, I had a man in my church. He was one of these legalists. And he was, he was the one that had the table in the back of the church that God told me, you box that garbage up and put it. And write him a note and say this, I was very kind. I did exactly what Jesus told me to do. But we were actually in Lamar, Colorado on December 31st, 1999. And because the Kit Carson water was very hard, I mean, it knocked the stuffing right out of you. It'd make everything go. We, when we went go to, go to Lamar, there's a place in Lamar you could drive by this and get some reverse osmosis water, and it was cheap. I like cheap. So Barbara and I went. And we had, you know, a couple of gallon containers. And here's this guy from our church. Used to be from our church. He, he, he wasn't in the church for a while. And he, he had his little pickup, and he had two 55-gallon barrels. <laughs> and the thing was just dripping water. <laughs> he was a big Y2K fear monger, right? This was December 31st, 1999, right before it was going to turn 2000. And the computers were going to crash, and everything was going to go bad. You better store up food. In fact, there's a bunch of these fear prophets telling you to fill your crack basement full of crackers. What are you going to do? Get your nine millimeter and shoot everybody when they come to get a cracker? <laughs> and I've watched this for years. And I've, I've watched these kind of teachers. And I've watched this cost the church millions of dollars. While Christians react in fear. And I've watched the world get rich and the church go broke. Because they're listening to these prophets. I've watched it. So I'm just going to tell you what I think of it. Quit giving to them. Quit putting money in their coffers. I would quit listening to them. 
because it's a bunch of fear on steroids and they got to find somebody dumb enough to believe it. So they prey on the church. Somebody asked me the other day, what prophet do you listen to? I listen to Andrew Womack. I listened to him in 1998. The, right after I heard it, Andrew came out and I thought, he's right. I had a woman in my church. She's like, Pastor, Pastor, can we fill the church up with food? Because we, we don't want the people in Kit Carson to go hungry. Now, there's only about 300 people there. And I said, no, we're not going to fill the church up with food. I got five grain bins over at my feedlot right by town. And if you just want to exist... We can fill them full of wheat. It only takes a few grains of wheat for a human to exist per day. And we can feed this down for years and years and years out of my grain bins if you just want to exist. But I'm telling you, that is a sorry way of thinking and that is a sorry way of living. And I'm not going to think that way. And I'm not going to live that way. And I refuse to buy the fear gospel. It's not the gospel at all. It's a perversion. And so when they preach that kind of nonsense, you know what? I haven't got where I've got by living in fear. I've got where I've got by taking a lot of risks. And you know what? I've won some of the time and I've lost some of the time, but I've won a lot more than I've lost. And I'm going to keep believing God and I'm going to keep going forward. But I lived enough life to tell you that a lot of these guys are nothing and what they're saying won't do anything but cripple you. Because if you compromise in the area of fear in one area of your life, you don't know how it's going to cripple you in another so you need to live by faith. You need to preach the grace of God and believe God. Because faith in Jesus Christ will change your life. And listen, Pastor Lawson Purdue still believes that there's hope for America. I still believe there's hope for this nation. I still believe in Jesus, and I still believe in the gospel. So, when you believe in Jesus, he came to set you free from sin. He came to set you free to do the will of God. He came to set you free from the fear of man. He came to set you free from, from a performance mentality or a lack thereof. And he came to set you free from the fear of judgment of things past, present, or future. And glory to God, I am not going to let fear rule me, but I am going to live by faith. The Bible says that just shall live by faith. And it goes on to say this in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith that works by love. So I'm going to keep receiving the love of Jesus and keep letting the love of Jesus flow through me. And I'm going to keep boldly aggressively living by faith. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com 
or call us at 719-418-4000.